Friday night. It's another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast. We have the smooth sounds of Wild Nothing in the background tonight. The entire album of Nocturne, a dope-ass album that has gotten me through a really, really rough, rough week, guys. This week has been brutal. I'd say probably the most brutal week of 2022 for me so far. Nonetheless, I've stayed productive as I normally strive to do. I've accomplished goals and done things, but the frustrations have been mounting. I've been hitting dead ends and corners and people with their, dare I say, emotional rather than logical Feeling-oriented rather than competency actions have been driving me nuts. That's why I played Whitney Houston, New Jersey's own Whitney Houston song. So emotional to start us off. A couple weeks ago, I played that. I just sent that link to a young lady who was not too happy with me, who was getting, well, emotional. She wasn't too happy when I sent it. But hey, maybe that's why I struggle with uh, the ladies sometimes in relationships, because I just don't have the patience for all the emotional reactions, all the cognitive dissonance to try to get facts to align with your feelings. Facts and feelings, they don't always align. We got to accept it. We got to move on. So tonight's going to deal a lot with that. But guys, I hope you're having a great Friday night. I'm glad I could help set off your Friday night. After work, to try to wind down, I headed to Kill Kenny's Ale House, Central and Halsey in Newark, New Jersey. And I had a really nice scotch couple good German beers, ate some chicken tacos. That's the second time this week I did that, but I can't resist them. They're so damn good. And I cruised home, even though part of my car is messed up because I hit a real weird bump, and now I got to deal with that this weekend. But I cruised home. Nonetheless, the sun came out, and I'm now sitting in front of this microphone, looking out at the Empire State Building, lit up bright white, looking at the Prudential Center, which is packed Sebastian Maniscalco was at the Prudential Center this week. Calandra's uh, gave him all these cannolis and this bread and all these Italian flags. It was nice to have a guy like Sebastian in Newark, New Jersey, with his Italian prowess, you know, telling jokes. It was packed. The Prudential Center was packed for Sebastian, and that was good to see. But anyway, I'm here with you tonight, and I'm happy you're here with me tonight for another edition of the Logic and Larry podcast. We keep grinding. We keep going. I got a lot to say tonight about a lot of things. Let's start it off. Let's not delay. Let's not dabble. Russia. While everybody's talking about our little domestic back and forth nonsense and what we usually do right in this country, we divert. We only have so much of an attention span for international affairs that are really concrete and matter so much. We got to get back to our identity, politic, social media bickering, don't we? So this week, you know, and I, I kind of thought this would happen early on when you saw Russia start to invade Ukraine. Russia underestimated Ukraine. See, what Putin thought was going to happen, Putin thought he was going to march into Ukraine. He thought that his military would overwhelm the Ukrainian people, especially in the major cities. He thought that he would make quick work of the Ukrainian military. He thought that he would infiltrate and penetrate major cities and major strongholds early. And he thought that he would make a lot of headway. And then he was counting on a political coup. He was counting on pro-Russian Uh, forces within the Ukrainian government to rise up uh, and and help to 
stage a coup inside the government as the brute force was knocking on the door outside the cities. And he thought that Ukraine would relatively quickly flip and be a Russian uh, territory or at least seek a ceasefire on Russian terms with a pro-Russian government installed. But he was wrong, wasn't he? And this week, I mean, amidst all the nonsensical identity politics we've been dealing with domestically at home, the news over there on the fringe and the front line of Western civilization and Western freedom against autocracy and tyranny, where we really should give some semblance of our time in the news cycle, at the end of the day, the latest from Russia today was they were trying to spin it and say, actually, our main goal has always been this Donbass region. We've always wanted just this eastern region that is already pro-Russian. We wanted to make the Donbass region pro-Russian, quote unquote, liberate it. And our only reason for infiltrating further into Ukraine was to weaken their military strength and weaken their military infrastructure to allow us to take over the eastern side of Ukraine. That was the latest today. Meanwhile, the Ukrainian government has come out today and said, well, we've pushed back the Russians. So the Russians, and this was confirmed by unbiased third-party sources, including the U.S., that the Russians had pushed as close to 12 miles away from Kyiv. But... The last few days, Ukrainians have launched a counteroffensive. So they're no longer just hunkered down defending against Russia. The Ukrainians have launched a counteroffensive and have actually pushed the Russians out as far as 35 miles outside of Kyiv. So they took back all of that territory in the last few days. Not only that, the Ukrainians are claiming this was not confirmed by third parties as of yet, that they've surrounded Russian forces who were trying to infiltrate deep into Ukraine and are able to now cut off their supply lines and starve the Russian forces in that regard. They are taking back some of the major cities that were in question, the Ukrainians are. And the Russians vastly, vastly, vastly underestimated Ukrainian resiliency they underestimated ukrainian the ukrainian ability to fight and now you see russia backpedaling trying to save face trying to save face and say oh oh the whole reason we were here we only went that far into ukraine was because we wanted the eastern section of ukraine and, and Siren says, I just watched the latest Real Sports episode. It was about the Russian-hosted annual war games. And saying, yo, Real Sports is a great show, by the way. Real Sports is like one of those like journalistic experiences that still has objectivity, like that investigative, you know, magazine on TV type journalism. It's one of those last bastions. And believe me, there are still bastions of true journalism out there. You just have to seek to find them. And a lot of times they're kind of divorced from the hot button political issues because the hot button political issues have gotten so saturated with partisan cognitive dissonance that it's hard to find true objective journalism there. But real sports is still a really good show. Now, anyway, I predicted if you've listened to me or you've talked to me or you've been around me the last few like the last month, I've long predicted and I've long said 
that I think what's going to happen with this Russia-Ukraine conflict is I think Russia's and Ukraine are going to enter into a ceasefire at some point, which basically Ukraine concedes these pro-Russian eastern regions of itself. Now, it would be a lie to say that there aren't pro-Russian contingents in territories to the east of Ukraine. It's just a simple fact. The Ukrainian army itself has been fighting pro-Russia contingents in eastern Ukraine since at least 2014. So I... I always thought that the logical conclusion to this conflict would be that Russia would advance itself several, you know, a considerable territory to the east, to their west, our east, and take over eastern sections of Ukraine that were already pro-Russian. But that Ukraine itself, especially western Ukraine, the capital in Kiev, Kharkiv, the central Ukrainian cities, they would maintain their independence. So it's just intriguing that if you look at the current news cycle and if you look at even the current statements of the Russians, they're already trying to save face and they're already trying to kind of step back and say, oh, we always just wanted the eastern regions because the fact is Putin vastly underestimated Ukraine. Ukraine has dug their heels in and fought the front lines of western civilization ladies and gentlemen have held firm and we should all salute donate start charitable causes go to sleep at night thinking about the ukrainian people and what they have sacrificed and what they are doing because they by all accounts it's not over yet it's a long way from over there's a lot more carnage unfortunately there's a lot more going on there's a lot more still to be decided and reported on but the fact is russia is starting to be seriously thwarted in their effort and it looks like ukraine has held firm and ukraine has maintained its independence aside from these territories now the latest in the negotiations is that ukraine says we will not give up any territory we will not sign any ceasefire which contains any conditions at all of any surrender. And the Russians are saying we still may storm Kyiv. We are not conceding that we are not taking over anything west of the Donbas region. Nonetheless, the parameters are starting to be set. I bet you guys in a couple weeks, in a couple months, look back and see if Larry was right. Did Russia annex certain regions to the east, but did Ukraine maintain its independence overall? And then, by the way, when Ukraine maintains its independence, I bet it becomes a member, at least in some respects, it becomes a member of the European Union. Whether it becomes part of NATO, I think, is much more dicey. I think Russia insists on an aspect of the ceasefire agreement that entails that Ukraine won't join NATO. But that still may happen down the road. In other news, Biden announced today that, you know, the United States was going to supply much more natural gas, especially liquefied natural gas, which is cooled down natural gas that is then shipped overseas. The United States is pledging to supply much more natural gas and more oil to Europe, Western Europe, so that Western Europe could start to wean itself off Russian energy sources. Intriguingly and honestly, even though Biden said that, it remains to be seen. It's still a capitalist country we live in here. And the companies themselves get to decide where they ship their natural gas and their oil. So Biden saying that is kind of symbolic. But the fact is that it's already happening. So ironically, 
even though gas prices are up now and energy now is is kind of a, a rough thing for Americans, ironically, this war may have actually accelerated a natural and organic capitalist approach wherein the United States starts to supply and export more of its own energy to Europe, replacing Russian exports, thus increasing our export capacity and, and, and our economy uh, to Western Europe, which it does draw up an interesting issue because of climate change and the fact that Biden halted the pipeline and things of that nature. Aren't we going to need more pipelines for natural gas? Wouldn't there be more fracking? Yes, there might be. These are the complexities of the world that we live in. These are the complexities that we've got to face. We cannot deny the complexities. We cannot deny the nuance in this world. But that's the beautiful, I wouldn't say beautiful because nothing's beautiful about war, but that's the optimistic news out of Ukraine right now. But speaking of nuance, speaking of complexity, guys, one of the reasons I've been so vexed and so stressed and so beside myself this week has been this political discourse in the United States. I can't understand anymore. I, I feel like we are in the twilight zone. Were any of us who are intellectually consistent, any of us who are intellectually honest, are being actively gaslit. They are gaslighting us on both sides to make us think we have some flaw, we have some issue where we are biased or don't understand what's going on when we try to stay intellectually consistent. There's so much insanity going on in this country right now that you have to truly be afraid for the sanctity of our institutions, for the sanctity of our humanity, for the sanctity of our society going forward. There is so much political nonsense going on in this country where you start to wonder, is anybody in any position of power in this country they are all products of us, right? They're all just people like we are. And since everybody we know seems to be susceptible to this cognitive dissonance, this partisan insanity where you you find a partisan crusade and you warp reality to fit your partisan crusade, is anybody in power smart enough, intellectually consistent enough? Do, do they have enough integrity to be apart from that? It seems like no. And CLR brings up where I was going. That was the first thing I was going to touch on. It's like CLR must read my mind. I don't know. That was literally the first thing on my notes. Ginny Thomas, who is the wife of Clarence Thomas, a Supreme Court justice. She's the wife. That means they go home. They sleep in the same bed. They share the same couch. They're home every day. After their long days, they go home to each other. This is a man who was in the highest court in the land, who we depend on to make decisions to affect all of us, who we depend on as a member of an institution to not be partisan, to not succumb to this insanity that we're dealing with in the political sphere, that we depend on to uphold the integrity of our institutions. His wife, it came out this week, was on text messages with Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff, during the insurrection, during the lead up to the insurrection, during the entire 
vote hoax where Trump was trying to plant seeds and, and, and say that the election was stolen when it wasn't a free election in a free democracy while Ukrainians are dying in the streets and in buildings getting bombed to uphold Western democracy. Trump here was trying to tear down Western democracy by saying the election was stolen. The Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife was texting the chief White House chief of staff saying that President Trump needs to hold firm, that the election was stolen, that he has to find a way to let Trump take the election, that it couldn't be stolen and given to Biden. That is scary stuff. Scary stuff. Now, I don't want to insinuate that Clarence Thomas was a part of this. There's no evidence at this juncture that Justice Thomas was a part of it. But when his wife was doing it, it seems a little bit dicey, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Makes you think. And Justice Thomas was one and only dissent on a few key cases involving Trump, involving the subpoenas, Involving other issues. He was the lone dissenter. That means Kavanaugh, you know, all these other conservative justices on the court, Barrett, Gorsuch, Thomas was the only one to go against them. That's scary, isn't it? This is a judge. He's supposed to put himself above that. I put myself above that all the time. Now, by the way, I forgot to add this little tidbit, and I hope you know because I say it every single time I'm on the mic. Everything I say on this podcast is strictly my personal opinion and my personal position as a private citizen. Nothing I say in any way reflects the opinion of any other entity, any other official, any other person whatsoever. I'm simply speaking to you in my private capacity as a private citizen, not in any way in my official capacity. These are simply my opinions as a private citizen. And this is for entertainment purposes, although you know we keep it real. Now, Thomas is a real I'm not saying Thomas is a problem because I don't have anything against Justice Thomas right now, but his wife doing that is problematic to say the least. Now, there are calls for Justice Thomas to recuse himself from cases involving Trump, given these revelations. And I just think it's scary in this day and age that we have anything, anything like this. that this could ever happen in our society. But it seems as though this is becoming a trend, doesn't it? It seems as though this is becoming a trend in this country. Because today, folks, and tonight, I don't want to just get on the conservatives and Trump and Justice Thomas. I've got to, I've got to, I'd be remiss if I didn't address what's going on on the left in this country these days. The left, it seems they have lost, like it used to be years ago that the left, and not that many years ago, I'd say five, six, ten years ago, that the left was the 
the bastion of truth, right? The right was was embracing all of these crazy theories, all these conspiracies, all of these emotionally charged, distorted belief systems that allowed them to embark down these crazy political paths. And it was the left that was the standard bearer of truth, that was the standard bearer of what was right, that was the standard bearer of intellectual consistency, that was the standard bearer of being real, right? But over the last week, I've encountered so much, just a lack of intellectual consistency, so much hypocrisy from the left. And it's getting scary because the left holds so much sway and power because the left has people in positions of power in academia, in the legal system, in government. And they are in a position of influence, especially in the media. And they are convinced, completely 100% convinced that they have the moral high ground any and every time. That if you disagree with them, they've started this perception. They've put this perception out there that they are the moral authority. And if you dare disagree with them or dare bring up a factual issue a factual point of contention that you want to discuss that you are a bad person. You are a bad human being. And where did this start this week? Well, it started with this debate that has been raging all week regarding Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is the transgender woman who competed in women's swimming in college competition and blew away the competition in at least one event. And it started this whole media firestorm and this raging debate as to whether transgender athletes, specifically transgender women, should be allowed to compete in women's sports. And I have researched this issue to an extent, and I can tell you that no matter where you stand on trans rights, on athletics, no matter what your political persuasion there is a factual and ethical debate to be had about the issue, okay? I am pro-trans rights. I am pro this woman's rights. I will refer to her as a woman. But the studies show, even though the studies are constantly trying to be manipulated and they bring other criteria in to flood and drown out the criteria they don't like and statistics remember there's lies damn lies and statistics i mean statistics can be manipulated in so many ways which is unfortunate it's so unfortunate but studies have shown that one year out from hormone therapy transgender females still maintain a physical competitive edge over their male i mean their female counterparts studies have shown that two years out two years out they still maintain 12% edges, at least in speed, despite hormone therapy. Studies also show that the emotional health of the transgender athletes is improved if they're allowed to compete with the gender of their choice. So, but that's a complex issue, isn't it? That introduces a complex set of circumstances, a complex sort of facts that can be debated, can be discussed, are open for discussion, right? 
But it was interesting this week. All I said on one thread where I, you know, first everybody was discussing it pretty civilly. Then all of a sudden, a few days later, these hardcore liberal people that I, I am friends with on Facebook and social media. A few weeks, days later, they got a hold of it. And they started saying, you know, you're not debating anything. You're just transphobic. If you have any issue with this, you're just a bigot. Anybody who even questions this is a transphobic bigot. And I stepped into one of these threads and I simply said, well, hey, have you seen these studies? I'm not telling you how to think or what to think. But have you looked at these studies? These studies seem to show that transgender females have a competitive physical edge over their female, biologically female counterparts. Isn't that worth discussing? Because, again, guys, I don't care. I know this sounds cold. I know this sounds cold. But I'm not overly concerned about people's feelings. I'm not overly enthralled with people's feelings. I'm more concerned with truth. I'm most concerned with truth. Because without truth, without facts, there can never be any righteous justice. There can never be any abstract sense of justice. Why? Because while it may make an athlete feel good to compete against women, what about the woman who places second, but she was the fastest before the transgender athlete joined the group? Aren't her feelings valid too? Isn't everybody's feelings valid? But what is the one salvation? What gets us to where we need to go? Not feelings, but facts. Facts is the true justice. Facts is the true righteousness. If a transgender athlete maintains a physical competitive edge over biological females, then justice says they cannot compete with females. If, on the other hand, facts and science show that there is no competitive advantage for transgender athletes over women, then the transgender athlete prevails and they should be allowed to compete. That is where it starts. That is where it ends. Facts, not feelings. But when I inserted myself into this conversation and said, have you seen the studies? I was not meant with studies in return. I was not met with, hey, let's look at the studies. Let's see what's right. Let's see what the facts are. I was met with being called a dork, a nerd, a bigot, a transphobe, an asshole, a loser, a, a primitive, a Neanderthal, a knuckle dragger, that these people who were arguing with me had no intention of engaging in a debate about facts and righteousness and getting to the truth and the most just justified outcome. All they had an interest in was arguing with me and being emotional about it. And then people were nitpicking studies and picking different studies that they wanted to try to justify themselves because the left in this country, ladies and gentlemen, the left in this country has gotten to a point where the right has been so out of their mind for so long that the left has started to really believe that anything they think, any belief they have, any political ideology they possess is not only righteous in terms of their moral compass, or their personal political belief system, but is also factually infallible 
and cannot be defeated. And the only reason you would disagree with them is if you are a prejudiced person. Well, that's an extremely dangerous position to have because that means that anybody who introduces a fact to you, even if it's a true fact, is a morally reprehensible human being that should be punished and sidelined and marginalized. And I've seen this increasing more and more on the left as the left becomes more and more sure of itself, but less and less. The left has the left's positions have gotten less and less supported by facts. The left's positions have gotten more and more outside the realm of reality and more and more outside the realm of justice. And so they need to rely on ad hominem, which is a logical fallacy, ad hominem attacks, which are attacking the character of the speaker rather than the substance of the argument. Leftist positions have started to morph into there. And that's a that's oppressive. That's intellectually oppressive. That's gaslighting. If you bring up a fact that's legitimate, I call you a bad human being. I tell you, you deserve cancellation. You deserve consequence. You deserve to be reprimanded. You deserve public embarrassment. But yet your premise is the one that's questionable. Well, I hope everyone who listens to Logic and Larry understands that Logic and Larry is pro-gay rights, is pro-trans rights, is pro-equality, is pro-social justice. But Logic and Larry is above all pro-truth. Logic and Larry is above all pro-fact. I don't care what you do to me. I will never forsake facts. I will never forsake truth. I will never forsake the reality objectively and be gaslit or be ashamed of calling out the facts and the truth. You will never intellectually bully me into that. I will never do that. Ever, And I hope that everybody who listens to this show agrees and takes the same pledge. You will not be a jerk. You will not be a hater. You will not be irrational, but you will not bow down to emotional arguments in the face of facts ever. Because as soon as we start to do that, and as soon as we start to cater our factual perceptions and our decisions in the public sphere to cater to what our emotional beliefs are. That's the time when we start to destroy the society that we all collectively had agreed to live in together freely. We start to destroy the very fabric of where we live. We destroy the very fabric of our community. We can't do that. And unfortunately, the modern left wants us to. They want us to look the other way when the facts don't go with what they think. I posted the other day about masks. I posted about masking and how the facts show that cloth masks are not that effective against COVID. Now, the first headline was that they weren't really effective at all. But then you saw the media outlets rush because the media outlets are so slanted towards the left that the media outlets rushed as fast as they could to start saying, well, well, cloth masks are still good if you have nothing else. Cloth masks are still good, but they, they don't work that great. But still, they try to cover it up. And any issue you will find, any issue 
there might be an initial factual report. But if the factual report does not comport with the left and what the leftist narrative is, all the major news outlets will try to find a way to, like, quote, fact check, quote, find a way around it. And then all of a sudden, every headline you read on Google or anywhere else will kind of go with the main narrative to try to cover up the fact. When I posted about masks, whenever you post about the left, man, it's obvious because they come at you with venom. As soon as you post something that the left doesn't like, I mean, it's like nothing you've ever seen on social media. They will start coming at you and they will come at you angrily. Why? My theory is that people on the left are generally fairly intelligent, fairly academically um, advanced people. And so the reason I think they come at you so angrily when you say something that's contrary to their views is I think deep down they know that you have a point because they're smart enough to know. Right. And that goes out to all my lefties that listen to the show. I know there's plenty. You know when I say something and I have a point, that's why you come at me so hard because you it irks you. It gets under your skin because you can't deny deep down in yourself that it's true or at least there's some inkling of truth. And so that's kind of an issue. And Siren, I appreciate that. Thank you. I was wondering what your opinion was on this. But Siren is infinitely logical, so I'm not surprised. And interestingly, on the trans thing, I'm not trying to harp on the trans thing, but on the trans thing, you know, I'm not saying that this person is the authority on this and by no means do I think they should be. But uh, Caitlyn Jenner did come out and say, quote, Caitlyn Jenner on this issue did come out and say, quote, it's not transphobic or anti-trans. It's common sense. So Caitlyn Jenner herself said this is not it's not anti-trans to have an issue with the the athletic issue with transgender athletes. It's common sense. Now, I'm not saying it's common sense per se. I'm just saying it, it warrants debate. Somebody posted on my Facebook the other day that there is no debate. You're just transphobic. Th- that to me is a complete cop out from the conversation, a complete cop out from the conversation. And Caitlyn Jenner herself said that it is not transphobic. It's a discussion that needs to be had. So let's have it. Now, another thing that went on this week that I thought was fascinating, and it's in this realm of this political hypocrisy, this lack of intellectual consistency, was the Kintaji Brown Jackson confirmation hearings. Now, let me upfront tell you this. I am an attorney. I am pro-black. I am pro-black woman more than most of you probably even realize. I love Justice because she will be confirmed. Justice Kentanji Brown Jackson is one of the best, most qualified justices I've seen in my life. I love the nomination. I'm a huge fan of hers. Her resume is untouchable. Her jurisprudence and her record are ridiculously admirable. She is an excellent, objective jurist. She's what everything on Logic and Larry aspires to be. Her decisions have stayed objective and towed the line between this and that and stayed consistent. And she's called balls and strikes her whole career. 
And the fact that she is the first black woman in American history to become a judge is huge. The first black woman in history to become a judge. There is nothing there to be taken lightly. But I found it interesting politically. When the news started first circulating that she was going to be the nominee, I found it interesting that the news stories, especially on the liberal side, in order to sell this accomplished, brilliant jurist, who, by the way, went to Harvard undergrad, went to Harvard Law, served on the Harvard Law Journal, which is no easy feat. I couldn't even get on the Rutgers Law Journal, okay? This judge, Judge Brown Jackson, was on the Harvard Law Journal. Her father was an attorney who was a former school teacher. Her mother was a school teacher. Her uncle was a police officer. Several of her cousins and other relations were police officers. She is, by all accounts, a middle-class, accomplished, African-American woman with an amazing resume, an excellent background, a beautiful family background, an interracial marriage, beautiful children, everything about her is great. But why did the liberal publications, every time I read one, skirt over her resume in private practice in law firms? Skirt over her family's accomplished, aristocratic, or at least middle working class background and constantly have to act as if one phone call from her estranged uncle years ago who was locked up for drug offenses and she referred to some other lawyer. Why did these liberal publications have to keep making that one little tiny tidbit the biggest thing in her resume as if that was it? They'd be like, she came from a family whose father was a lawyer, cousin was a cop, this and that, went to Harvard and this. But the biggest thing, one of the biggest pivotal points in her career was when her uncle called her who was locked up. Because the modern left has form this crazy insane paradigm where you're not righteous unless you've done something positive for criminals you're not righteous unless you've gone against the system in some way even though judge brown jackson all she did was refer her uncle to some other lawyer they tried to make that the focal point as if she delved derived all her righteousness all of her you know notoriety from that that's bs the woman was a federal public defender for two years, which is admirable. Being a public defender is one of the most admirable things you can do as an attorney. I know some of the best, most fine public defenders in this country who work in Newark, New Jersey, who attended places like Harvard and Columbia. These people are amazing jurists, amazing attorneys. And just a side note, it's kind of interesting. I read an article recently that, that the left was trying to distort our legal system where an attorney who dared to represent Harvey Weinstein was booed and lawyers, young lawyers were walking out demanding that he not speak because how dare any lawyer that would represent such a terrible person 
be given the platform. Well, that used to be one of the most celebrated things you could do was represent somebody that everybody else despised. John Adams represented British soldiers after the Boston Massacre, and that was one of the most noble things you could do because he was a true patriot, but he still thought that everybody deserved a fair trial. All of a sudden, people on the left are saying, well, you only deserve a fair trial if you're somebody that we think deserves a fair trial. If you're somebody that we think is disadvantaged, but if you're Harvey Weinstein, throw you in jail, no fair trial. That is not being a lawyer. So Judge Brown Jackson, soon to be justice. She was admirable in being a public defender. She had a great background. She's a brilliant jurist. The fact they were harping on one phone call from her uncle is absurd. That shows some of the flaws in current leftist ideology. I'm sorry. It does. It's not empowerment. It's disempowerment when you concentrate on just that. But then you had the hearings. And I just found it interesting. Look, a lot of the questions from Hawley, Hawley, I can't stand Hawley. I, re- I really can't. I can't. Hawley, he looks like a, a frat boy. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to get into personal attacks ad hominem. Larry, you can't do that, Larry. You just can't. But some of these questions from Cruz and Hawley, and they're asking her, you know, the difference between a boy and a girl, like just because she's, quote, identified with the left you have to ask her questions about gender like she's going to be the final authority like she knows she said look i'm not a biologist i don't know great answer what the hell she doesn't know she's not a biologist you got all these righties i got the uh, these right wing people on facebook saying making fun of it like how do you not know bunch of bunch of reads like like the righties questioning this esteemed accomplished woman was absurd but I'll tell you, I was a little bit beside myself. I just I couldn't understand the intellectual inconsistency, the hypocrisy, the intellectual dishonesty amongst all these left oriented people on my social media and around my circles and in the media acting like this was the first time anybody's ever been questioned in a, in a Supreme Court nomination process. Amy Coney Barrett, whether you like her and by the way, just just to be candid. Me personally, not in a partisan way, just as, in, as far as resume, I think Kintaji Brown-Jackson is much better nomination. I'm much more of a fan of her personally than I am of Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Much more of a fan of her. I'll take three of her over them any day, all the time. But Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh Kavanaugh were destroyed at their hearings by liberals. Brett Kavanaugh cried and everybody made fun of Brett Kavanaugh for crying. Everybody. Just like Rittenhouse. Because it's, I guess, a certain demographic in this country is not allowed to cry. They're not allowed to cry. When they cry, it's a joke. It's fake. Only when other people cry is it real. When, when people like them cry, it's a joke. It's a fake. Boo-hoo. Well, guess what? I never cry for that reason. I got no excuses. I don't cry. I will not cry. I will grind. Grown men don't cry. That's that's me. We don't cry. But it's interesting that they're not allowed to cry. Accusations can be hurled at them all the time. Liberals can speak out of turn. Democratic congressmen, Democratic senators, I mean, could speak out of turn. They could assault them, and it's good. It's all for the good of the country because Amy Coney Barrett sucks and Brett Kavanaugh sucks. So destroy them. Rip them to shreds. Destroy them personally. But then they act surprised when Republicans do the same thing during this nomination process. They act like, this is terrible. How dare they question her? This is what people go through. This is what they do when they question you. 
Do you think Amy Coney Barrett, who I'm not a fan of, but is an accomplished jurist herself, I don't think is accomplished as Brown Jackson. I don't think so. But still quite accomplished, okay? And Kavanaugh, quite accomplished individuals. Were they above getting criticized? Of course, liberals would say no. Leftists would say no. They deserve to be destroyed. Rip them to shreds. But during this nomination process, they act like they were aghast, like they were asleep during the Coney Barrett and asleep during the Kavanaugh hearings. Like they never happened. How dare they question them? This is what happens. They question people. They're ruthless like that. Now, granted me, you guys know me. I don't think any justice should be partisanly questioned like that and ripped to shreds. I think it's unbecoming. I think it's partisan nonsense. I think it's absolute trash. I hate it. It's inobjective. It's just partisan hackery playing to the base. I think it's beneath the United States Senate, but nonetheless, they continue to do it. But it's not new. Why does the left act like why does the left act like this is some new revelation and they're the only ones who were victimized by partisan hackery? That gets to me. Again, this hypocrisy, this idea that we're the only ones ever victimized. Nobody else ever gets attacked. I can't get down with that. I know there's inequalities. I know that certain people are facing more adversity than others. I accept all of that. But now you're going too far when you're acting like you've never seen it before. This is a nomination hearing in a hyper-partisan environment. This is what happens. I'm sorry to say. Stop acting like you've never seen it before and you're, it's such a travesty. Maybe it is, but it's a travesty both ways too. It's, it's never been okay. But then they would claim the moral high ground, say, well, Kavanaugh is a terrible person and Coney Barrett's a terrible person, so they could be destroyed, but not her. That's not fair. That's not intellectually consistent. That's you trying to claim the moral high ground to put somebody else down without a factual basis. I don't like that. Based on beliefs, not facts. I don't like that. And let me just say, Judge Kentaji Brown-Jackson, I was proud of her too. Her daughter was proud of her. Her husband was proud of her. She is amazing. I love that judge. I am so proud that my country nominated her. I am so proud that she's going to be a Supreme Court justice and the first African-American woman to be one. And not just because... Unlike some, not just because of her identity, because she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Her work speaks for itself. That's why. That's why. But I'm not surprised at the hearings, as juvenile and absurd as these men acted. This is what happens at these hearings. This is what goes on, unfortunately. I just don't understand why people on the left have to act like it's never happened before. All of a sudden, they're so in tuned and they're so appalled, but they weren't appalled when it was going on the other way. They questioned Amy Coney Barrett's religion. They questioned Amy Coney Barrett's motherhood, all those things. But everybody thought it was OK for her because they disagreed with her ideologically. Whether you disagree or agree with somebody ideologically is not necessarily the, 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 the crooks upon which it's OK to act decent or not decent. And that, I just want to call that into question. Both sides need to get right with this, the way they treat people. And the way that their, their partisan hackery influences the way they conduct themselves in public. These senators should be ashamed of themselves, but the Democrats should have been ashamed of themselves the way they attack Barrett in some ways, not always. Some of the questions are legitimate. Some of the questions are legitimate to, to both sides. You can ask questions if you're ideologically opposed. It's okay to ideologically oppose someone in public. That's okay, too. 
so I just want to bring that up. And then, and then speaking, of, so it was interesting with the whole thing. I thought another another interesting thing with these the media, with the fact checking of the media, especially on the left. And I know I'm going at the left a lot today, but I think it's been like three weeks where I've just been crusading against the right and, and the nonsense and the Trumpies. That the left was due, man. The left was due. They, they just they keep acting the way they're acting. It's getting me crazy. All I care about is truth and righteousness and reality and fairness. And the left is getting wild. So Hawley, who I, again, don't like, he brought up some nonsensical position that uh, Justice Kentaji Brown Jackson was, uh, she was too lenient on child porn defendants. And Siren, yo, Siren, you know what's crazy? You're the third person this week to tell me that they no longer have a political affiliation. I will tell you, two of the people that told me that were leftist people who were leftist as hell my whole time i've known them and one of those people was right and was a republican person even a trump type person who told me that they no longer have a political affiliation so those of us who are subscribing to logic and truth and fairness and justice and objectivity are all i guess abandoning this partisan nonsense because it's not serving truth anymore it's not serving righteousness anymore it's just serving its own crazy weird warped ends but Anyway, Hawley said that she was too lenient on child sex offenders. And statistics from what I read showed that she did many times go below the guidelines or the prosecution's recommendations on child sex offenders. Now, it was nowhere outside the realm of normality, i.e. most other judges also went below the recommendations, probably because the prosecutions in these cases, recommendations were very high because it was such a hot button issue. It's such an emotional case. And because, on the other hand, defendants a lot of times were not manufacturing this stuff, but were just proliferating the stuff. It's disgusting any way you shape it. They're criminals any way you shape it. But she had undercut prosecution, you know, the prosecution in some cases, and but it was no no further along than any other judges had done. So Hawley said that she undercut consistently. That's what he said. But on NPR radio, they acted like Hawley was debunked. They said, well, CNN fact checked Hawley and said Hawley was wrong. But what CNN actually said was not that she was not consistently lower than the prosecutors, which is what he said. CNN said that, yeah, she was lower consistently than the prosecutor recommendation, but it was no different than any other judge. Therefore, Hawley was a liar. Hawley was false. We fact checked. We debunked Hawley. But see, that's the problem. When we're getting down the road where major media outlets are saying that they debunked somebody. But his statement was that she undercut consistently. He didn't say it was outside the realm of what other judges did. He just said undercut consistently. So you're not debunking his statement or, or proving he's a liar by saying that other judges also did it. But that's what the headline says. That's what the headline portrays. Everybody shares the headline. No one reads the substance. And if CNN, a major media outlet, is finding those roundabout ways, equivocal ways to say that somebody was debunked, we have a problem. And I just thought that was a good example of what to watch out, watch out for, even in these fact checking sites, which, guys, look, I hate to say. Because you guys know me, I hate conspiracies. I hate conspiracy theorists. I can't stand it. I can't stomach it. You know, I've been crusading against conspiracy theories since the beginning of the pandemic. It drives me nuts. But. Even the fact-checking sites, it seems, will try to kind of go out of their way to roundabout say that any kind of right-wing-ish, conservative-ish statement was wrong, even if it wasn't factually wrong. That sucks. 
Don't you just want one reliable fact-checking site that just unbiasedly, objectively, with no preconceived notion, just gives you the truth? Don't you want that? Isn't that what we all want? Why can't we get that? Why can't we get that? It's frustrating. But long story short, and they also had this, see, they had this other article today saying Manchin, Joe Manchin, announces that he's going to vote to confirm Kintaji Brown-Jackson. And then in the body of the article, they said Manchin, who who usually sides with Republicans. Like, that's not true. Manchin sided against Democrats on the Bernie bill, which I always have said I didn't like. He sided against them on a couple bills, and now all of a sudden he always goes with Republicans, and it's some big revelation that he's voting to confirm her. The media is trying to sensationalize things that don't need to be sensationalized. He was always going to vote to confirm her. He's a Democrat. On things like this, he almost always goes with the Democrats. It's not a revelation. Now, I'll say this. I truly, truly hope for the sanctity of the court. I truly hope that several Republicans, at least a handful, vote to confirm Kentaji Brown-Jackson because there's no legitimate reason to oppose her. There isn't. And I know a a bunch of the caucus is going to vote against her just because they're partisans and that's what they do and that's what they want to do. But I would hope, I would hope that a handful voted to confirm her because that's the objective, that's the right thing to do. Now, when it came to Amy Coney Barrett, I understand the contention there because Obama wanted to nominate Merrick Garland and he was not, not Amy Coney Barrett, I'm sorry. Not Amy Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett was at the end, and I do understand that too, because they wouldn't let Obama nominate his nominee, but at the end of Trump's term, they allowed Amy Coney Barrett. I understand that. And Gorsuch didn't have that contentious of a, of a hearing, even though he was the replacement for Garland. But I understand Amy Coney Barrett because of the way that you know Republicans were jamming her through where Obama wasn't allowed to get his nominee through. I understand the anger, the political nonsense. But there is no such nonsense here with this judge. And so there should be no reason why at least a few Republicans don't vote to confirm her. And if they don't, it just shows us how bad this stuff is that I'm talking about. How bad this lack of objectivity, this lack of truth, this this reliance on emotion. I'm just a Republican. I can't. I'm just a Democrat. I can't. Uh, crying about everything. How about you just do what's right and make sense? The woman is well qualified. The woman's track record is excellent. The woman is a brilliant person. She deserves to be on the court. She's a Harvard Law grad like so many before her. She deserves to be on the court. Voting against her is nonsense. Voting against her is simply a a reflexive, emotional, partisan, nonsensical reaction. So I hope at least a few of them come to their senses and vote for her. For the sanctity of this damn country, just like the infrastructure bill, I was so glad that some Republicans voted for it because it needed to be done. It was common sense. Voting against it just to deny Joe a win is juvenile. Like, what are you, in third grade? You're leading the country, but you have third grade philosophies? I don't want Biden to get a win. It would suck if he improved the country. Eh. Big babies. Babies. Speaking of all that, the last thing I'll end on here, and I know I'm frustrated this week. I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. I'm doing voices again. 
but I've had a rough week. Told you guys I've had a rough week. And this stuff has been on my mind. This stuff has been on my mind nonstop. So I got to just get it out there, put it out there, let it live outside of me on this podcast recording and then walk away from it. But uh, the final thing is, again, more with these lefties and their their twisted sense of reality. Crime in New York City is, is bad right now. It's going up. It's going up in a lot of cities. It's going up, especially in cities where there are these, quote, progressive prosecutors who are going, you know, above and beyond people who never believed in prosecutions, who were career anti-prosecutor. And now they became the DAs in these cities in Philadelphia and San Francisco. And crime is going up. The fact is crime's going up in New York City. OK, it's going up. And. Governor Hockle came out as part of her budget proposal with some tweaks to their bail reform law in New York. One of the tweaks would give more discretion to judges to keep people in jail or to increase their bail when they were violent or there was more of a risk that they would commit a felony. It was one of the ways to try to stop um, the increase in crime in New York, which is an outcry about. And trust me, I walk the streets of New York regularly. The city of New York has gotten noticeably a bit more seedy and has gotten noticeably a bit more dangerous and is a bit more illicit activity there. And a bit is being you know, generous. There's a bit more activity there than there was for the last several years that I've been there. So it's not imagined. OK, there's an increase in crime. Four people were stabbed in a Brooklyn subway station recently. And anyway, one of the things she wanted to do was give judges more discretion in New Jersey, for instance, under the New Jersey bail reform law, which I agree with. Right. I I don't think bail is a great system. I don't think somebody should uh, be incarcerated pretrial based on how much money they have or how much they could pay. That's not fair. That's not right. Somebody should be in jail or locked up pre-trial based on their risk that they pose to the community, the risk that they pose to be violent, the risk that they pose to not show up to court. Now, in New Jersey, that's the only criteria that's looked at. And judges have discretion based on how many offenses somebody has committed, based on the alleged offense, based on the evidence of the offense, based on the propensity for more violence. New Jersey judges have discretion. All Hockle wants to do, all they want to do in New York is give judges in New York the same type of discretion. Interestingly, a young lady in her 30s or late 20s from Long Island, who obviously probably has some kind of mental illness, pushed a 87-year-old woman just recently. This is a Long Island white girl, white woman, pushed an 87-year-old woman onto the railroad tracks and killed her recently. And her family bailed her out. Her family was able to bail her out because the bail was set at whatever it was set at. And they were able to bail her out. And there's outrage because she's privileged from Long Island. And I agree. She is privileged. She should not be bailed out. Under New Jersey law, the judge would have discretion that this person is a violent person who has violent propensities. She has to stay locked up. So she can't be bailed out no matter what. But under New York law, it's a different law and it's not working as well. The judges don't have as much discretion. So Eric Adams has proposed that the law be tweaked. Various other moderate Democrats and Republicans have proposed that the law be tweaked. And so Hockle this month proposed some tweaks. And all of a sudden, the liberals in New York are like, no, no, we're going to go on hunger strikes. We cannot allow this to happen. They're peeling back our rights. They're going to criminalize poverty, criminalize poverty, this, that. No, they're not criminalizing poverty. They're criminalizing criminals who have committed criminal acts. OK, this is more of the distortion of the liberal current liberal ideology. A woman wants to make common sense tweaks to a bail reform law to increase 
protections for communities. And by the way, I'm not going to tell you who the majority of victims of crime are. I'm not going to tell you the majority of communities that have to deal with crime. I'm not going to tell you the demographics of the people that comprise most of the victims of violent crime in this country or in that city. You go look it up for yourself. Look it up for yourself. But some wealthy liberal person living out in some great area who doesn't have to deal with crime is sitting there saying, we can't allow this. We fought for this for so long. How dare she? How dare she? But if you look at her actual proposals, she's proposing common sense things that right across the river in a very progressive state, right across the river are working in New Jersey. There's nothing wrong with these proposals per se. They're not some attack on equality, attack on progressive ideology per se. They're common sense, factual, fact-based reforms that can increase the safety in New York City, especially in the areas and especially for the people that have the most problems dealing with crime and being the victims of crime and look up who those people are by and large. It's helping those people. It's common sense. It's trying to do something about a problem, which is crime. And it's common sense also that the more lenient you are on crime, that the more willy-nilly you are with crime, that the less harsh you prosecute criminal people, the more they feel like they have the ability to go out and commit more crimes. I know in the leftist mentality these days, I know that that's sacrosanct. I know it's like, no, 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 no. The way to cure crime is to sing kumbaya in a circle and, you know, tell everybody they're loved and tell everybody they, they, everything's great. And sometimes that works. But the fact is human beings sometimes are jerks and sometimes human beings is, exploit systems and sometimes people need consequences. And if you don't believe me, go look at a little kid. If a little kid is a little a little crapper and he's going around causing trouble and doing all these things. If you keep letting him get away with it and he's pushing his limits and you let him know that there are no limits, he's going to continue to be bad. If you give him a consequence, it doesn't have to be a malicious consequence. You don't have to hit him at all or anything. You just have to give him an actual consequence. He will realize that his behavior is not going to be rewarded, but it's going to be punished and that there are other ways to get what he wants and other ways for him to go about things. And if he does wrong, he will be caught and he will be punished. It's the same thing for adults, too. It's human nature. It's human consequences, right? Humans need consequences. So part of reducing crime, of course, of course, the number one driver of crime is poverty. So one of the main reasons ways to reduce crime is outreach and, and, and equitability as far as economic opportunity. Of course it is. Of course. And Eric Adams oddly said it's, it's all these rivers that create crime, but they only want to concentrate on one river. I'm always saying that it's a poison root growing these leaves, aren't I? So he, he's kind of intellectually going where I'm going. I, I, I like Adams for that reason. He's trying to explain to them it's not just prosecution that begets crime. There's other factors, okay? But anyway, they just the, the, the outrage for a common sense solution to crime got me too, And that's what's currently going on in New York. And it's like, will these people ever let and they're trying to come up with all these other nonsensical statistics? Oh, it was the pandemic that caused crime? But did it, though, because everybody had more money during the pandemic. There's a labor shortage, so there's jobs available. So it wasn't the idea that crime was always caused by no jobs and no money. But now they had it. It's so like, stop. 
Maybe some people are just out there causing trouble and they need to be a little bit more common sense reforms in the criminal justice system in New York to counteract the uptick in crime. Maybe it's not that crazy that Hockle, a Democrat and other Democrats and Republicans are proposing this because maybe it makes some common sense. Maybe it's not some evil, mean, hater people that just hate everything the left wants to do. Maybe it makes sense. Did they ever stop and think about that? Now, I know this was a rant. I know this was a long rant. I know it wasn't my normal smooth touch the way I normally try to go about things. But I just thought that this week's news, given all my frustration, but also just like being objective and looking out at at the world. I think we all need to be mindful, especially because I think most of us who listen to this show, most of us are objective centrists on the show. I understand that there's some Republican people who listen, some right wing people who listen but predominantly, we are people who lean to the left. We are people who are enlightened, people who look for equality and people who care about those issues. I think more so for us than anybody else. It's up to us to kind of stand firm in fact and stand firm in pragmatism and stand firm in practicality, especially with our colleagues and our friends to the left. You know, to really sit there and say, look, you I understand where your heart is. I understand where your heart is. I understand why you're saying what you're saying, but I will not be silenced. I will not be intellectual, intellectually bullied into a corner because your emotions are overwhelming your sense of fact and the facts that I have brought to the table. If we want to be taken seriously with equality, with advancement, with those things, we need to make sure that we are doing it on a factual basis and that we are not just going full speed ahead and trampling over the truth and trampling over what's right and what's real. Because if we do that, then we're trampling over the very justice that we say we're seeking to achieve. Right? So I think it's important for us in in times like this, where there were multiple examples, I think, that really showcased at one time the way people who are oriented towards the left and leftist thought we, we criticize the right so often, and rightfully so, for a lot of the things they do. But the left does a lot of things, too, that don't make sense logically and that need to be called out. And it just seemed like this week there were a lot of examples of that all at once. And all of those things need to be called out. All those things need to be pointed out, and we need to have discussions, civil, objective discussions about those things, not to little or to uh, act high and mighty compared to other people or to start an unnecessary argument, but more so to, to point out the flaws in some people's logic and to bring people back to sanity in the middle. Because if you don't have this perception constantly that everything is some never ending waging war of righteousness versus the evil, corrupt, terrible system and, you know, great angels versus terrible people. And hey, hello, Raccoon. You came a little late, but but happy, happy to have you. Um, If they come back to the center and they're like, hey, you know what? I have beliefs and they have beliefs, but they aren't personally attacking me. They aren't just haters and bigots. They they have something to talk about. Let's engage. Let's find a mutually legitimate, a mutually, you know, righteous decision that we all agree is fair. 
I think that's part of our duty as thinkers and as objective, logical people to do because we are working toward a better place. And we know there are bigots out there. We know there are people out there who don't want to see people rise. We know there are people out there, it's well documented, who are just haters to be haters. But we don't want to get wrapped up in that on the other side. We don't want to start trampling on other people because then we lose credibility. And we start to lose sense of what we're even after. If we start to trample on facts and what's right too, we start to trample on the very principles that we claim to hold. And that's a problem. So I just thought it was something to bring up. And I thought those examples were worth bringing up this week um, regarding the left and how they've kind of been going at things they have to be called out too we should not back down just because we're scared of being bullied emotionally we're scared of somebody telling us we don't understand things we are mean we are prejudiced no we're not we're not we're the opposite but we want to stick to the facts and if, if they can't stick to the facts and their only resort is to go to ad hominem attacks then perhaps they're the ones who are wrong they're the ones who need to be taken to task for the way that they're approaching the situation and there's so much, there's so many people that seem to just be going with the crowd and too scared to speak out. I'm sure there's so many other people that feel the way they we do, but they're scared to talk because there's so much pressure to just go with what everybody else says. And that's really dangerous in a free society because if enough people, we've seen it before with the witch hunts, we've seen it with other things time and time again in society, whether it's a right wing thing or a left wing thing, anytime people who have the capacity to think rationally and make fair, rational decisions start to ignore their own intuition and start to ignore their own sense of what's fair and what's right and start to just go with the crowd regardless because of peer pressure or social pressure, then there are victims in that in that scenario and society starts to become really oppressive one way or the other because there's no rational person to plead with because they're too scared to go against the crowd they will oppress free thought they will oppress objectivity just to go with the crowd that's really terrifying stuff and that has happened time and time again throughout human history i'm not trying to be an alarmist i'm not trying to go out on a limb to just attack the left today but there were so many examples that i just thought we needed to go over and just discuss that i thought were worth pointing out on tonight's show so that's what i did and again props to the ukrainian people it looks like they are finally pushing russia back time will tell we're not sure yet but they are pushing russia back and it's a Friday night with decent weather, and hopefully it'll be a decent weekend, and everybody could unwind the way I know I need to after my stressful week. And I know I'm, I'm working on getting more guests on here soon and, and, and yada yada, and tonight I'm not going to take any calls. I usually take calls, but I'm just too <laughs> exhausted from the week, you know, and, and this was a very good show that we had. I'm not going to take calls, but I hope, I hope sincerely that this started off everybody's Friday the, in a good way. I know it was a lot of, you know, attacking, you know, things that were misconstrued in the media and yada yada, but what else do we do? I, th I hope that this exercise in free thought and that me venting about the, you know, intellectual inconsistencies that I saw that you probably saw helped as, you know, served as some kind of catharsis to you 
to enable you to tackle this weekend, you know, with a, with the weight off your shoulders and the knowledge that there are other people out there who are objective, who want to do what's right, but also want to stay consistent and stick to the facts. I hope that this helped start your Friday off the right way. And Raccoon, thank you so much. Please follow, and you could also re-listen to this as soon as it's over. The recording will be out, so you could listen from the beginning. Um, and and please, please check back every other Friday at eight or usually eight thirty. Every other Friday at eight thirty p.m. Eastern Time, we are on the air. So please join us. It's a politically objective show, and that's what we're trying to just discuss. Feel free to go back and listen to other episodes, and I, I'd love to have you on the next on the next show. Um, so everybody, thank you for joining me uh, once again. Love you guys. Love being with you guys. Love speaking to you guys. This is a therapy for me. This is a, a, a valued dialogue for all of us. I will be back in two weeks. Uh, we will discuss the issues as we always do. And I'm looking very much forward to it. Everybody have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Enjoy the weather. Feel free to reach out to me with any other concerns or considerations. I hope to see all you guys out there fighting the good fight, being intellectual, staying consistent, staying objective out there in the social realm, in the social dialogue, and continuing to do what's right and stick to the facts. Guys, I hope you enjoy your Friday night. I hope you enjoy your weekend. This has once again been an episode of Logic and Larry. And this will be available on Spotify and every major platform. Please share the show, share it with your friends, and feel free to tune in whenever. Reach out to me whenever. Follow me on all platforms. I will talk to you guys very, very soon. Enjoy the rest of your Friday night. This is Larry K. from Newark, New Jersey, signing out. Good night.